welcome, welcome. Episode 54 of the Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. I know it's been a minute. I apologize. That's on me. Um, between 53 and 54, I think it's been about two light years. Um, but we're coming back, hopefully going to be regular on a week-to-week basis like we have always been. So today we are recording this on a Tuesday to go up on Wednesday. And episode 54, there's not a lot of significance with 54. I think some linebackers wear that number, but I promise you this episode will not be as bad as the Utah Jazz in 1998 when they dropped 54 points in the NBA Finals. NBA historically bad record. So we're going to be better than that with episode 54 because I have Clipper Steve from uh, from the Los Angeles Clippers bright side or bright side of the sun, Los Angeles Clippers SB Nation affiliate, uh, Steve Perrin, Clipper Steve. How are you doing here today, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So I threw out the podcast bat signal. We have Clippers Suns tonight. As I said, we're recording this Tuesday going up on Wednesday. Clippers and Suns are going to play each other. It's been an interesting season series with these two teams going back and forth. They've each uh, taken each other's punches, and the Suns have actually played fairly well against the top teams, You know, either winning a couple of games or, or taking the series against some of these teams. When you look at a team like the Suns and you're a team like the Clippers that are up there maybe fighting for second seed in the Western Conference, the Suns are fighting for their playoff lives, what kind of significance is this game from a Clipper perspective? Well, the big question mark on this game is who exactly is going to play for the Clippers. Uh, there's, you know, four different rotation guys that are uh, that didn't play last night or Monday night against the Timberwolves, and uh, and I, I doubt that they'll play. Maybe Jamal Crawford will play. I don't, I don't see Blake Griffin playing in this one, um, and I don't see Reddick or Granger being back. I know Granger will be. Uh, so it's a big. There's a big question mark as to who's actually going to be out there for the Clippers. But above and beyond that, the Suns have just been a nightmare for the Clippers. Going back to that crazy preseason game where it, you know when we all thought the Suns were terrible, right? It was still you know in our heads that this was going to be, you know, gee, who's the worst team in the West? Is it Phoenix or is it Utah? Um, and uh, and the Suns came out in the second half and just waited on the Clippers for a little bit. And you think hey, it's preseason, big deal, whatever. And then that's been kind of how it's gone during the three regular season games. I mean, through the first two, I you know I'd say the Suns outplayed the Clippers pretty thoroughly in seven out of eight quarters through the first two games, um, with the Clippers just having one great quarter that pulled out the second uh, meeting the, the the last time they played in Phoenix. Uh, and then the last game that they played, the the third in the series, it looked like the Clippers were finally exerting their will on the on the Suns and. and but they just could never put them away. The Suns kept fighting back, fighting back, fighting back. It's just, you know, this is a team that really just has some some sort of, uh, you know, zombie uh, Walking Dead aspect. You think you think you killed them, and you got to go back for the for the for the brain shot one last time to to make sure that they go away. Um, I I don't want to see the Suns in the playoffs from the Clippers. I don't know who I want to see, but I don't want to see the Suns. Um, this is a this is a crazy team that's got tough matchups, and they seem to really relish playing against the Clippers so far. 
You know what? And I, I want to make my zombie reference, but I'm going to go uh, with a different route. With the Phoenix Suns, you, you definitely got to double tap them. You can't just go out there and, and knock them down once and expect them to stay down. You're, you're definitely on point with that. They have a certain level of toughness and resiliency to them. But then again, we've seen them lay some eggs out there. I mean, the game against the Lakers and, you know, Goran Dragic with the little bit of the, the European uh, disconnect with the English language. People are thinking he's ripping the team where I think he was just kind of just being generally critical of the, the one performance. Um, but yeah, you got to double tap them. You got to go zombie land and you got to make sure that you knock them down and, and keep them down. But with the Phoenix Suns, I like that point that you made. And I kind of want you to go broad strokes with this because the Suns have beaten the Spurs. They've beaten the Thunder, or I, I actually shouldn't say that so boldly. I don't know if they've beaten the Thunder this year, actually. Um, and they, they've beaten the Clippers. So the top three teams up there, they've beaten or played with them. Yeah, they've beaten the Thunder uh, this year as well. I, I want to make sure I was right on that one. When you're looking at the playoffs, of the Dallas, Memphis, Phoenix, that little trio there, who is the team that you fear the most of those three in a seven-game series, if you're any of the three teams at the top of the West? Well, I'll start. I mean, I'm going to go one by one. Uh, I, the Clippers have to fear Memphis more than anyone just because of history. I mean, I don't I don't think the Clippers want to see Memphis uh they, you know, they beat them two years ago. They lost to them last year. They lost four straight. And quite frankly, even if it, I, I feel fairly confident the Clippers would beat Memphis uh, in a playoff series this year, but you're going to get beat up. You're going to come out of the first round, you know, bruised and battered and limping, and uh, that's just not a that's just not a fun first round match. <laughs> from experience, it's not a fun. It may be fun to watch for some people. It wasn't fun to watch for me. Um, you know, so I, the Clippers don't want to see Memphis. Um, the Clippers would love to see Dallas. We seem to have their number the same way that Phoenix has, has the Clippers' number to, to some extent. I mean, the, all the games have been closed, but the Clippers just have something uh, at the end. They can they can play some defense and shut down Dallas, it seems like, so far. Um, I think if you're, uh, if you're either the Spurs or the Thunder, I think Phoenix is the wild card in that group, right? I mean, I think they know how to beat the other two teams. I think they feel pretty confident. Maybe the Thunder against Dallas. Dallas does seem to have their number a little bit. Um, and and maybe we overemphasize regular season results too much. Uh, certainly matchups matter. And um, and Oklahoma City has seems to have a lot of trouble stopping Dirk. Um, but uh, but I think Phoenix is the is the real wild card in all that group because. Because we just, you know, no one really knows how to how to go at them, and you don't know when Gerald Green's going to go nuts on you. Uh, Dragic and and Bledsoe are just nightmare matchups. Also, uh, they're a tough team to stop. So um, I can't speak to the other two guys. The Clippers would love to see Dallas in the first round. Yeah, I think that outside of OKC, I think most teams would like to see Dallas in the first round because I think Dallas has one of the best coaches in the NBA in Rick Carlisle. They have one of the best uh, offensive talents in the league, and Dirk Nowitzki should say one of the best players, obviously. Um, but when you look at them, you you, you kind of take Dirk out of his game. Monta Ellis goes out there and maybe gets into hero mode like when he used to be with Golden State. And it, it just feels like that's a team that's more beatable. It's kind of weird looking at them and seeing that they're 44-30 and 30 at this point in the standings when, when you think about it, go back to the beginning of the season, most people thought that the bottom five teams in the NBA in no particular order were going to be Philly, Phoenix, Boston, Dallas, and the Los Angeles Lakers. 
that was at the very beginning of the season. Everyone thought those were going to be the worst teams in the NBA, and two out of the three, at least in the Western Conference, are battling for the playoffs and will finish you know, 10 games, 15 games, 20 games over 500, something that maybe only two teams in the Western Conference are gonna, or the Eastern Conference are going to do. So I, I think I agree with you. Phoenix is definitely the wild card. They're the wild card because you never know who's going to go off, whether it's Gerald Green, Markeith Morris, Marcus Morris, Ish Smith. Someone randomly goes off for like 15 to 20 points or above their normal average and catches a team off guard. And, of course, Goran Dragic is playing like a fringe MVP candidate with his play. You guys got your own MVP candidate with Chris Paul. What What was it like watching them when he was out, how they were actually staying afloat, winning games, and now that he's back, they're really charging up the standings? Well, I tell you, the the Clippers have shown a lot of resiliency, and they've got a lot of quality depth this season, especially uh, when they picked up uh, Granger and Big Baby Davis uh, after the trade deadline when those guys were waived. Uh, you know, those two, the Clippers had a glaring weakness in the front court um, off the bench when you're talking about Byron Mullins getting any sort of significant minutes. Um, and those two were such upgrades over Mullins and, and Anton Jameson that now you've got this team that anybody on the roster, the Clippers can turn to pretty much anybody on the roster, and they're going to, you know, they've got the potential to do pretty well for you. Uh, you know, they went into Minnesota, good team, Minnesota, a little weary from, from the road, you know, starting to fade. They, they see the writing on the wall. Uh, they know they're not going to make the playoffs, and so I think maybe they, they were a little dispirited uh, in general. But the Clippers went in there with, with three of their top four scores not playing, uh, also without Granger, uh, and they just handed it to them in Minnesota. And and that was with, you know, Jared Dudley starting at the four, Ryan Holland playing significant minutes uh, as, as a backup center, uh, Willie Green's playing. And it's, uh, these are, you know, these, these are 14, 13, 12, and 11 on the, on the depth chart for the Clippers. He's a turd loop. They're all stepping in and, and playing, uh, playing really well. Uh, so this is a super deep team right now. When you're talking about, you know, you can turn to Willie Green. You, you know, you don't expect to see him at all in the playoffs. But if, if he needs to come off the bench and make a three for you, he can do it. Uh, Reggie Gullick's, uh, you know, been a, an outstanding player for them when he's gotten on the floor this year. They're, they're thrilled with him in terms of where they got him in the draft, and they think he's going to be uh, a really good player in this league. And, you know, if everybody's healthy, he's he's not playing. So this is a deep team, and they've shown some real resiliency while, while Paul was out. Darren Collison has just been uh, just, a, just a terrific backup all the way around. Um, Doc is now starting Collison at the two um, with Crawford and Reddick hurt. Even when Crawford's healthy, Doc has said, uh, you know, has decided he'd rather have Crawford off the bench in that accustomed six-man role. And he's just starting uh, this little backcourt with uh, Paul and Collison and uh, and saying, yeah, okay, he's given up six inches, eight inches to a guy like Gerald Green, but we're not going to worry about that. We're going to play our our best two guards and. And we're going to go ahead and, and take it to you on the other end. And maybe you try to post up Gerald Green. That's not, you know, that's not his game generally. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, and you know, continuing <laughs> a little further afield on this one, Josh, I wish Benny uh, Del Negro had had the same attitude last year and was willing to play Chris Paul and Eric Bledsoe together. You know, it's uh, it's just crazy that uh, that this incredibly talented guy was reduced to, you know strictly a backup for the best point guard in the league when he should have been, you know, 
probably second on the team in minutes at the at the guard position. It's in terms of backcourt players. There's no reason he shouldn't have been playing big minutes last year. And and you know, props to Doc for recognizing that you don't have to play a traditional two guard. You can you know play the guys that that uh, that are going to get you you know production regardless of what how they sort of look or what sort of role they would traditionally play. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think about the hypothetical that Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe are a phenomenal backcourt. You know, probably a top five backcourt in the NBA. I don't want to go over the top and say they're the best because, you know, it's sliding a lot of other backcourts. But it's a little, this is not a slight on Goran Dragic. He's having an insane season. I've called him a top five MVP candidate pretty much all year. But just to think of what it would look like with Chris Paul and Eric Bledsoe playing 60 to 82 games a year starting together the dis the havoc they can put on teams in the backcourt defensively offensively the things that they could do because Chris Paul's unique skill set and you see it with Goran Dragic those two can play together and they found chemistry and it is dynamite when they're on the court together I'm just imagining it with Chris Paul with Doc Rivers and that creative mindset all those shooters and athletes in LA that might be the best team in the west if it was Darren Collison flip-flopped with Eric Bledsoe what do you think oh gosh I mean don't don't get me started on a uh I make it emotional here. Um, it's uh, and and you know Doc was before the trade. Uh, Doc was saying that he saw absolutely no reason that you couldn't play Bledsoe and Paul together. And and but that's something that I, that I said all last season. Um, you know Bledsoe's a difference maker, and you want your difference makers on the on the court. Um, you know a lot of people have a lot of problems with Vinny Del Negro. I didn't have. Uh, too many complaints, really. I thought he did a, a, a pretty good job in a lot of ways, but that was a clear mistake that he didn't get Bledsoe more minutes. He just, you know, that he was one of the difference makers. He was probably the, you know, the third most impactful player on the team, and he didn't play the third most minutes, and he should have. You know, there's just there's just no excuse for for not playing him more than uh, than he did. Uh, and the only reason he did it was because he didn't want Chris Paul and Eric Bledsoe in the uh, in the backcourt together. He thought they were too small, and that's just ridiculous. You know, Eric Bledsoe's strong as a bull for one thing. You know, uh, how many how many two guards are really going to abuse Eric Bledsoe? And oh, by the way, Chris Paul has defended uh, small forwards effectively this season. You know, he he's a little bulldog himself. He's a tenacious defender, very very tough. And yeah, you're giving away some size, but you're going to get get a lot back on the other end also, and you're going to wreck a lot of havoc with. Uh, with ball pressure. So um, I would have loved to have seen that Paul Bledsoe backcourt, no question about it. Um, but, uh, you know, Collison's been terrific. And uh, and when J.J. Redick actually played for the Clippers, uh, he was a huge, huge factor. And hopefully he will be again, too, stretching the floor. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm glad you mentioned so the, the Eric Bledsoe trade, Jared Dudley, um, a lot of people, you know, media members, they look at the trades with hindsight and obviously the Indiana trade, we got the better of that trade and all things considered, you know, we got the better of the Clipper trade. Early returns on Jared Dudley was that he was going to do things for them, bring a veteran presence, shoot the ball, defend, be a good quality teammate. It would all click. It would make sense. It would work out in L.A. He would probably agree it hasn't been his best year. He's probably struggled up and down, hasn't shot the ball very well. It wasn't a great, hasn't been a great click all year. What it, What is it now when you look back on it, less than 10 games to go in the season? What is the Jared Dudley assessment? How do you like him on the team? What's the fit been like for you guys? 
No, clearly it, it hasn't worked out the way that uh, that anybody anticipated and wanted. And Jared would be the first to to say that as well. I mean, he hasn't shot the three ball as well as, as he has. He's shot incredibly well from the mid-range, um, but he hasn't shot the three ball as well as he had throughout the rest of his career, and uh, and that was something that they really wanted him to do. Um, and you, you know full well that, you know, you look, you look deadly and you think, well, he's not, you know, he's not big enough to play the four, he's not quick enough to play the three, he's not very athletic, he's not a very good rebounder. You know, he doesn't really look like he ought to be in the NBA in a lot of ways. Um, and so he gets a lot done, given his level of talent. He gets a lot done that, you know, he's a lot better than you than you might anticipate. But uh, but I think everybody would agree that it's been a little bit disappointing. The Clippers have been better since uh, since Matt Barnes went into the starting lineup replacing Dudley. Um, in hindsight, you know, when, especially when you consider that the Suns turned around and, and flipped uh, Toronto Butler, uh, it didn't even have to you know take didn't even have to eat that contract. You know, if if you're looking at the trade originally and saying, oh. The, the Clippers got out of, you know, the, the final year of Butler's deal that they didn't want to pay. Well, you know, they could have. It looks now like they could have gotten out, out of that differently. Um, it, it was not, you know, a great trade for the Clippers. But having said that, the lineup makes a ton of sense with Redick. Dudley is a pros pro, and you know, all you got to do is look at last night's game where. Here's a guy that was supposed to be the, the starter all season, uh, was supposed to be a major contributor, and has been benched. You know, he's been out of the rotation, but uh, starts at, this, at the stretch four last night, plays defense against Kevin Love, makes a bunch of shots. Um, you know, he came in and did his job last night. The guy's a pro. You know, he's a, he's a good teammate, um, and if he ends up out of the – uh, rotation in the playoffs if everybody else is healthy. He's not going to say, you know, word one. He's not going to make a wave. Uh, he knows he hasn't played as well this season as he could have. And uh, he's going to he's gonna be ready if uh, if he does get his chance in the playoffs. And uh, hopefully he'll make some shots. I mean, that's the, that's the big problem this year with Gary is that he just hasn't made shots. Um, if, he's, if he's hitting that, that jump shot, then he can be very, very effective. He's not a great on-ball defender. He's not. He doesn't have the quickness to stay in front of a lot of guys, but he's an incredible off-ball defender. He's always in the right position. He's always got his hands up. He's uh, he's you know he's a great help defender. And in Doc Rivers' schemes, that's probably more important. So he's not going to be a wing stopper, but he's going to play his role in the in the defense, and uh, and he will always be ready to contribute. So you know, I think Jared's a good addition to the team. Even if, uh, if in retrospect, it would have been good to get more out of that trade than the Clippers got. Yeah, and and one point that I want to make because I know it's easy to say the Clippers would be better if they had Eric Bledsoe because he's the better player of the two, right? I mean, that's that's the easy lazy argument, but again, you can use hindsight and you could say put Eric Bledsoe on that roster and you know they're you know competing a little bit more than they are and and maybe they're you know ahead or neck and neck with like an Oklahoma City or a San Antonio. But on the flip side of it. Darren Collison and J.J. Redick, where is their fit on the Clippers? And if, you know, Jared Dudley's here, Gerald Green and P.J. Tucker and Marcus Morris. So a lot of players have been able to kind of the trickle-down effect, that butterfly effect of how this trade affected Eric Bledsoe. He's going to get paid a lot of money in the summer and how it's affected Gerald Green and Marcus Morris and P.J. Tucker's careers. 
Darren Collison. Obviously, like you said, J.J. Redick was dynamite when he was on the court, but injuries have, have kind of kept him off it a little bit. And so it, it kind of makes sense in different ways than just the traditional sense of he's the better player on 2K, he's rated higher, or whatever garbage argument you're going to have that's really lazy and uh, doesn't have really much uh, perspective on it. But I think that the trade in the long run worked out for everybody. And, I mean, yeah, I, we're glad that we have Eric, and I'm glad that Jared's on a team doing well because, as you called him, a pro's pro. One of the better interviews, one of the most polite guys, friend of the podcast. He's been on here a couple of times. Real good guy in general, as well as just a good addition to any team. You could put him on any team, and he'll just find a way to fit because it just seems like that's his personality. And I mean, I've said before about Dudley. I think he's, I think he's a better on a good team than he is on a bad team. Yeah. You know, he, you know, he's the kind of guy that you want on a good team. He could be the fifth starter on a really good team. That's what we thought he was going to be for the Clippers, and he, and he could yet be. You know, uh, um, you know. We'll, we'll see what happens going forward. We'll see what happens next year. Um, you know, he's a really good guy to have around. He's that glue guy type of guy. And you know, on a on a on a bad team, on a team that's struggling, you know, he's not the kind of guy that you're going to say you're going to give him the ball and say, "Here, go score some points for us." Uh, that's just not who he is. So um, he's 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 been you know we've said it enough. He's he's been a little disappointing. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble on it too much. Yeah, I want you to go ahead and continue singing the praises of Reggie Bullock for like another thirty seconds because he's a guy that I had as not necessarily a lottery talent, but I felt like he was criminally falling in the NBA draft and kind of landing in the lap of the Clippers. Just hey, let's give this team a long, athletic defender that can guard the two and the three and can be a knockdown three-point shooter. Let's let him just fall in the lap of the Clippers so Chris Paul can just get him easy buckets. C- continue singing his praises for another thirty seconds to a minute and make me look smart. Well, I, I, I'm going to defer that just for just for a little bit and circle back and make one more point on Bledsoe, which is this. The Clippers didn't need a guy that was going to go into restricted free agency and be asking for a lot of money. They just weren't in a position to, to deal with that. So that's the other part of this trade, and you alluded to it, that you can't forget about is that, you know, were the Clippers going to keep him? Were they going to be able to pay him? And the answer is no. Um so, back to Bullock. Um, you know, interestingly enough, you look at Tim Hardaway Jr. in New York, who went one spot ahead of Reggie. And they've both been, you know, they both looked really good as NBA rookies. Um, Bullock has been a terrific defender for the Clippers. Uh, he is an effortless three-point shooter, although he's been a little cold lately. He looks, he looks just born to shoot the NBA three. He's got a quick release. He's got a smooth motion. He's got a compact motion. Um, every time he uh, shoots that three ball, I think it's going in because he just looks so comfortable taking it. Like I said, he's been slumping a little bit lately, so you know he's not he's not automatic by any means. But uh, but I think he's going to be a terrific three point shooter. Which on this team, you know, if he can turn into that three and D guy, that's exactly what they need. Like you said, you know, long. Good, good athlete, uh, good shooter. This is the guy that, that they really needed uh, to to step in as a as a young guy to eventually round into that three uh, and D player at the small forward. And the other thing I like about Bullock as a fit for the Clippers, go back a couple of years to that UNC team that had four first round draft picks on it. Guess who was a was he a rookie or a sophomore? Anyway. 
Bridget Bullock was the fifth starter on that team, right? He he was the guy that uh, that nobody talked about. He was the guy that was out there doing the dirty work. And what better preparation? You know, so many guys come into the league one and done and have never not been the guy, right? They've gone through high school and college and always been the focal point of their team's offense, of everything that they do. And then they get to the NBA and they're asked to be a role player because, you know, that's who they are now because their talent just doesn't make them a star anymore. Uh, and, they, and they can't do it or they struggle to figure out how to do it. Reggie Bullock's already been a role player on a really good team in college. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's what he's going to be for the Clippers, hopefully. Um, he looks, he looks like he's ready to step into that role within the next couple of seasons, which is exactly what they, what they want. You know, three years down the line, you've got four of the starters figured out on the Clippers with bullets slotting into that, uh, that three spot. Yeah. And that's, you see that all the time in college on these really, really talented teams. Someone like Darius Miller on Kentucky or, or Terrence Jones on that same Kentucky team really talented guys and just kind of they fit a role because they have Anthony Davis and you know other players on the roster that are doing all of the things that they need to do and then they come into the NBA kind of unassuming and they just kind of slide right into that role and they play it well I mean Reggie Bullock has more talent than a Darius Miller you know Terrence Jones is coming into his own but those are those are the kind of players that I like as well when you look at national championship talent quality teams and then you see like that guy that you're like he kind of hustles and does everything that makes those two guys look like lottery picks that is a valuable asset to an NBA team and something that Reggie Bullock did for a year and then the next year he went out there and was scoring in double figures and shooting and was a star in his own right um to circle the wagon back to Eric Bledsoe uh which is what we keep doing this is the circle the wagon podcast back to Eric Bledsoe or Jared Dudley um with Eric Bledsoe quick pop question for you and I just thought of this right now so I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot but if you had to go back in time and make a decision to give a contract extension of the caliber that DeAndre Jordan received, would you rather have that be with Eric Bledsoe or with DeAndre Jordan? Um, you know, I in, in a in a vacuum, not taking into consideration any other roster spots, I think I'd rather it be Eric Bledsoe. I think he's a uh, a higher impact guy overall in the NBA, and that's taking nothing away from what uh, DeAndre Jordan has been able to do this season. Uh, he's been incredible for the Clippers. He's been you know, a revelation. But I love Eric Bledsoe. I mean, in terms of all the things that he does, uh, I just think he's, I think he's one of those impact guys that, you know, he is a difference maker in the NBA. Now, having said that, um, the Clippers do have Chris Paul. Uh, whereas I would have loved to see Bledsoe and Paul play together, uh, I recognize that Paul and Redick is a better match. You know, you get that that floor stretcher off the ball guy that Redick is. He's tireless working off the ball to get open. Uh, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. Uh, he can make plays when he needs to, but he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands. He's a perfect fit playing alongside of Chris Paul, and uh, and Bledsoe was something that a good coach was going to have to make work. Right, Paul and Bledsoe are not a natural fit. So, taking into consideration the specifics of the Clippers with Chris Paul signed long term, um, I think I think a big contract for uh, DeAndre Jordan 
makes more sense because that defensive center was a need, whereas uh, Bledsoe didn't fill as much of a need uh, on on that specific roster. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, just the only reason why I asked that question is because I can picture in today's NBA, I can picture a game being closed by Chris Paul, Eric Bledsoe, Jamal Crawford, three-point shooter uh, that can be a stretch four kind of, and Blake Griffin. You you have no rim protection at all. Um, but you can games can be closed that way because down the stretch, schematically, Doc Rivers can put together you know maybe a game plan that gets those guys in a good position defensively. Even though Tom Thibodeau gets all the credit for everything that Boston did, I think Doc Rivers might be able to coach a little bit. Um, and then also you have the offensive potency of that group. I just it's a unique question because it'll never happen. Um, so you know David Stern, you know if you can tap Adam Silver on the shoulder and for basketball reasons make it happen, we can see what happens. But. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think that's unique. I think I would give the money to Eric Bledsoe because today's NBA game is very perimeter oriented. But with the way DeAndre Jordan's playing, I mean, I don't, I'm not looking at the list of league leaders, but I know that DeAndre is averaging what almost 14 rebounds a game, getting four offensive a night, blocking a handful of shots. So he's having a really, really good year, even though people don't talk about him because Blake Griffin's a borderline MVP candidate, Chris Paul's a borderline MVP candidate, and they're going to get all the hype and the hubbub on that team. Well, I mean, it is, it's pretty amazing when you look at the uh, list of NBA leaders, and DeAndre Jordan is tops in rebounds. He's tops in, in uh, field goal percentage. He's third in block shots. Chris Paul is tops in assists and tops in steals. I mean, you've you got Clippers all over the leaderboard out there, and, and we haven't even mentioned Blake Griffin's name in that group, right? So uh, it is. It's been quite the season for, uh, you know, if you want to call those the Clippers' big three. Uh, which, when Doc Rivers came in and said, "Yeah, we've got a big three. DeAndre Jordan's part of our big three. You know, I think there were a lot of eyes rolling in the in the press corps, and, and you know, mine included. I didn't think that DeAndre was, you know, was going to be able to do this. And Doc has instilled the confidence in him to 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 go ahead and take that next step and to be. Uh, a defense and rebounding force, and uh, and he's done really well. Now, you alluded to something that I think is fascinating. If we look at uh, NBA playoffs from the last two seasons, really, um, the Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals, so you're talking, you know, the three best teams in the NBA probably uh, in those two series. Um, you know, was, was there a center in sight, a true center in sight in any of those series? When it was Oklahoma City and and uh, and uh, San Antonio playing, or um, San Antonio and Miami, or Oklahoma City and Miami, uh, it was always Durant playing the four, and LeBron James playing the four, and Chris Bosh playing the five, and you know they just they're, nobody's playing centers uh, in in the deepest rounds of the playoffs. They're all going small. And that seems to be what people want to do um, and what people are having success with. So it is it is interesting to think about, gee, DeAndre Jordan is this great defensive rebounding shot-blocking center in an era when no one really cares about defensive rebounding shot-blocking centers anymore. Yeah, and... And also to kind of piggyback off of that is that what makes Indiana, and we talked about Memphis, what makes them unique is that they have elite defensive seven-foot-tall centers that rebound, defend, block shots, pass the ball well, score efficiently. They have those guys, 
And, you know, for a little while, Memphis was at the top of the West. And, you know, currently Indiana is, is always at the top of the East for the past few years. But what ends up mowing them down? Teams that like Miami that go small, make Roy Hibbert step out of the paint. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade drive. You know, same thing out West. You know, Kevin Durant draws those guys out of the paint. <clears throat> Serge Ibaka draws them out of the paint. Russell Westbrook is able to go in there and drive. So the true center, I think, has become a situation where they're good for an 82-game season, but they're not as effective for a seven-game series because a coach can go into an 82-game season and go, we have to win enough games to make the playoffs, but a coach goes into a playoff series and goes, I got to beat this team four times. Here are their three weaknesses. We're going to exploit them. We're going to beat them. And sometimes the elite true centers end up becoming a weakness in the playoffs, which sounds insane, I'm sure, out loud to the listeners, but go back and look at the history as Steve alluded to those teams are very good in the regular season but when the playoffs come the LeBrons the Kevin Durant's those guys are more effective at the four those stretch shooting fours are better at the five which is why I think Blake Griffin could survive at the five in a seven game series yeah no I I I tend to agree based on recent results I I guess I don't really know that I feel comfortable saying why uh the reasons that you gave seem as plausible as any um, but uh, it is also interesting to to see with with Indiana struggling a little bit right now with Memphis not having had a great season. Um, it's it, you know they were looking like they were really back there for a while, and then they lost a couple of big games that you sort of expected them to win. Those are the two teams that sort of do play the old school NBA game, um, and right now they're you know, sliding back a little bit. They're not they're not looking as tough as they did. And so we're once again back to saying, hmm, maybe maybe the NBA is changing enough that uh, that we shouldn't be as afraid of those guys as, as as we are. But getting the playoffs and Hibbert and Gasol start wrecking havoc will change our minds again, right? Exactly, right? This is this is a, this is a very knee jerk environment that we live in and we work in. Um so but so question for you then when you're when you're looking at those kind of things so Memphis and Indiana put their teams together because if you punch a team and and this is not a knock on the Clippers cause I think they're getting a little tougher but when you punch a team like the Clippers or the Warriors even the Thunder I guess maybe for a little bit people could probably make that argument you can punch those soft finesse offensive teams in the mouth you're going to beat them in the playoffs going back to the seven game series we just got to beat you four times we're going to do these three things that was, I think that's kind of what put together a Memphis team or Detroit in the early 2000s, Indiana, San Antonio traditionally. They try to get tough to beat up on those soft teams that think they can go out there and, and run up the score. But then you get teams like Miami that go, hey, we're a scoring up and down finesse team. We can do that. But we can also punch you in the mouth and play defense as well because we have the best athletes in the world on our roster, which maybe that's the outlier. I don't know if the outlier is that the true centers aren't as effective anymore. Or if the outlier is the Miami Heat are the outlier. They're they're the, the one n- uncommon that's going out there and kind of making us think that centers aren't real, whereas in a couple of years when that team is aged out of their peak and they're not winning championships anymore, the true centers will probably rise up again. I, I think it's probably the latter. Um, and, and I'll go a step further and put Kevin Durant in, in the conversation also and say... Agreed. You know, this team, this league, this sport... It's a five-man game, and one player can have such a an impact on on the outcome. And James and Durant are just in 
a whole different category than anybody else right now. I mean, it's just, and it's not close. And, I'm, and you're not, you know, I'm a guy who's writing about a team that has two of the, the other players that would be in the conversation, right? If you want to have a conversation about who's the third best player in the NBA, we can, we can make a case for Chris Paul. We can make a case for uh, Blake Griffin, but we can't even come close to making a case that they are in the, you know, that they are actual MVPs because there are only two guys in that conversation. It's LeBron James and Kevin Durant, and they change everything. You can play however you want. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I was predicting a real drop-off for the Thunder this season. Uh, I thought Kevin, I thought the loss of Kevin Martin was important. I thought anybody who said Jeremy Lamb is ready to be a sixth man in the NBA is nuts. And guess what? I was right about Jeremy Lamb. But I was wrong about the Thunder because it doesn't matter because Kevin Durant is that good. Russell Westbrook misses, you know, 30 games, and they just keep winning because Kevin Durant is that good. Um, he's just in a whole different stratosphere from anybody else other than that guy LeBron James. He's that good. So, you know, they can play any style they want. They can do whatever they want. Uh, they can have, you know, I don't think Scott Brooks is a particularly good coach. I don't think that's a very well-coached team. It doesn't matter. Kevin Durant's that good. Yeah, I mean, and, and here's here's Kevin Durant being that good. He's averaging four more points per game this year than he did last year. Right on point with the rebounds. One more full assist than last year, and he's still getting a, you know close to a steal and a half a game. The guy's shooting over 50% from the field as a guy that shoots the ball. You would think a lot, but very, very, very efficiently. He's not 60% LeBron James at the beginning of the year efficient, but you know over 50% from the field, 40 from three. You know He's, he's a guy that just... I think he's the MVP of the league. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who Who is your MVP of the league right now? And before I let you go, I'm going to, again, put you on the spot. What is your, your matchup in the uh, the NBA Finals? Uh, my MVP is Durant. Um, and, and honestly, that's as much about, um, you know, giving, giving the vote to somebody other than LeBron uh, uh, as anything else. Not that I have a vote, but... Uh, but I think that's what people will do. Um, he, you can certainly make a case. It's not a difficult case to make at all that he's the guy. And I think most voters will say, yeah, if there's a viable alternative, um, let's go ahead and go with uh, with that other guy. Um, not to mention that the Thunder have a better record than the Heat this season and that they've done it through a whole bunch of injuries. So I, I think Durant's the, the MVP this season. Uh you know, NBA Finals. Uh, you know, uh, I could make a, I could have a more interesting conversation going with somebody else, and I could probably make a, a decent uh, argument even. But how can you go against San Antonio and Miami right now? Um, San Antonio is just playing absolutely out of their heads, and uh, and they've been, you know, almost unbeatable with Kawhi Leonard healthy this season. Uh, they. Every time I predict that, or anybody predicts that they're too old to do it again, they just turn around and make us all look stupid and do it again. Um, they just don't seem to be going anywhere. They get better, not older, and it's hard to it's hard to take anybody in the West over them. As good as the West is, and as good as the Clippers are, um, I think the Clippers do have a legitimate chance there, but it will depend on uh, how healthy they are. 
you know, and and uh, the, the the simple fact is I don't know that we've seen the Clippers high end. Uh, consider the fact that you haven't seen J.J. Redick and Danny Granger in the Clippers uniform at the same time yet. Granger is a significant addition to that roster, and Redick hasn't hasn't been healthy since they added him. Um, the Clippers could have another year if everybody gets healthy for the playoffs. On the other side, you know, I, as much as Chicago has overachieved and Brooklyn has started to play well, uh, it was it is and always was the two team race, and uh, and I was I always felt a little bit like the Patriots were overachieving. They got just too many glaring weaknesses on offense. They're just not a good offensive team. They're a great defensive team, and they're a very mediocre offensive team that that uh, you know was doing it a little bit. I'm not sure how they were doing it earlier in the season. I mean, Paul George was was playing out of his head. Certainly helped. Um, but they've got flaws. There's no question about that. And uh, and so I think it's going to come down to Miami in the playoffs. Um, they've certainly not been anything close to unbeatable lately. But I think in the playoffs they'll they'll be the the class of the East pretty easily. So I've got a Heat Spurs rematch, and I think the Spurs uh, take the championship again. This again for them, not uh, <laughs> second in a row, but uh, again for them and uh, in the Tim Duncan era. So one little wrinkle that I'm going to throw in your your notion of we always count out the Spurs and then they rise up and do it. It's I agree with that. We count out the Spurs and they rise up and do it. But then when we get confidence in the Spurs, they fall apart. I, I shouldn't say fall apart, but they lose to somebody in the playoffs, whether it's like the Thunder or, you know, they win 23 games in a row going into the, like including the playoffs and they lose as well. So those that that ends up playing into it a little bit we're very confident in the spurs we're now talking about them as the best team in the nba so hopefully that doesn't end up rearing its head because i tell you i would have paid pay-per-view dollars to see a game eight and a game nine game 10 game 11 that that series could have gone to 21 if they really wanted to and i think people would have paid pay-per-view money for that and if we get that rematch again i mean any combination of oklahoma city Indiana, Miami, San Antonio, I think would create a fascinating NBA Finals. I think Miami is the the team that the NBA wants in there for for the ratings and the quality, obviously. But I think any combination of those four teams, I want whichever rematch we get, I want Oklahoma City, Miami, or I want San Antonio, Miami. It doesn't matter to me which rematch it is, but I want one of those rematches here for the NBA Finals. My MVP is Kevin Durant. Nothing to do with, uh, with just picking someone different all to do 100% with the fact that he is playing as the best player in the NBA. I, I think that, you know, legitimately that he is the best player in the league right now with the way he's playing, numbers, team record, rising to the occasion, etc. So that was uh, Clipper Steve, Steve Perrin, over with Clippers Blog on SBNation.com. Definitely go over there and check him out. Appreciate you jumping on, Steve, and uh, we'll be back next week with the episode 55, the last episode of the regular season for the uh, Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. Ran a little bit long, so that way we can make up for not being there all the time for you guys. And uh, thanks for listening. Share, tell a friend, and we'll be back next week. 